we're going to address this. I want you to take your notes out because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some facts and some information so that you can see the reality of where we are. I understand the move that is here today because of what I'm going to address. Uh, and it's, it's just really poignant that we understand that Jesus does something and then he backs up and explains what he did. The Bible tells us that he did and then explained. Somebody say amen. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11 and 14 says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Luke 6, 43 through 44 or 45 says that a tree is known by its fruit. So it means that we have entered into, as uh, Elder Charlene said in the offering teaching, a season of harvest. Somebody say amen. But harvest also means that you have to increase in your discernment because you've got to pay attention to what's being harvested. And so according to these two scriptures, number one, Satan transforms himself into an angel of light, which means that he comes with an appearance that is contrary to how he really is. Number two, a tree is known by its fruit. So it means that we can never be moved by appearance. We have to become fruit inspectors. And if we understand the process of fruit, we have to deal with irrigation, we have to deal with the environmental conditions, we have to deal with plowing the land, we have to deal with making the land conducive for what it is that we're trying to do. We have to sow a seed, that seed has to germinate in the ground, it has to sprout up from the root, and then it has to begin to produce the tree that was planted. And then seasons have to go by in order for us to look at the fruit that forms, but then we have to wait for the fruit that has formed to become mature. So what does that mean? It means you can't go on live in 24 hours and we know that everything you're saying is right. We have to, we have to allow your fruit time to manifest. I'm, 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 I'm already in the Bible. I know. Y'all don't. Y'all don't I, we have to be able to, we have to look for measurable and discernible fruit. Because the appearance can't do it. And what you boast about doesn't do it. Y'all not talking back to me. We got a lot of people preaching, but they don't have fruit. So why do they get the investment of your time and there's nothing measurable about their ministry that you can trace? See, Jesus put this clause in this for us so that we would not be deceived. He said, a tree is known by what? Not how many followers they have on social media. So y'all got to stop clicking like and y'all got to pay attention to fruit. You've been preaching for 20 years. Tell me how many people have been born again into the kingdom of God through the tenure of your ministry. And then I'll decide if you're even worth the hour that I'm about to watch you. How many people have been healed? How many people have been delivered? I'll wait. I'll wait. I got all night. How many people have been set free by the power of God and it's measurable? Watch this. How many people have been transformed into the likeness and image of Christ under your tutelage? I'll wait. How many disciples? How many people have come into salvation, come into the infilling of the Holy Spirit, come into the reality of who they are in Christ and are manifesting their God-giving gift, calling, and destiny because of you? Y'all not, am I giving you, I'm giving you a matrix, a rubric to look at, to discern. Somebody say Amen. I'm going to deal with this subject matter of breaking the power of witchcraft because it's important that you all understand what we are really contending with, okay? This church, somebody say this is a real house. 
It's a real house. We preach the Bible. People are saved. People are born again here. People are healed. People are set free. Satan hates this house. Do you realize, and I have to be very open, and this is a, a transparent kind of message. Do you realize that most churches in our region, I'm talking about our region. Somebody say our region. We all live here and pay taxes here. Our region. Most churches in our region don't supply what people need for purpose. How can you say that? Oh, who do y'all think y'all are? Well, I'm going to tell you who we are. Because most churches that we have interfaced with are bound by a religious system. They come in, they do the ritual, they do the form, they do the dance, they do the choir, they do the worship set, but people are not transformed because they're not hearing a word that has the ability to bring transformation. There's no element of conviction. I can tell you the church where all the club glowers go. I can tell you. There's no element of conviction. There's nothing to prick the heart to say my life needs to attain a higher place in God. No, they teach you a message to uh, desensitize you and make you comfortable with who and what you are without any element of provocation for change. So then how is Ephesians 4 happening? That we can grow up into the head. That means our entire salvation experience, I didn't even get to the intro yet, our entire salvation experience doesn't just have heaven as the objective. It has conformation into Christ's likeness as the objective. So it means that we have to constantly watch this, y'all, be looking more and more and more and more and more like Christ to prove that we're saved. Let me present to you that most people, the only salvation reference point they have is that one day I said a prayer that many years ago. We can't see Jesus in you. We don't hear him. We definitely, you definitely don't look like him. So what evidence do you have that you're born again? If your heart is not different, if your life is not changed, if your lifestyle does not conform to his nature, what evidence do you, are you willing to cross over into eternity and not be sure? So the religious system has robbed us of truth. Because we say, as long as you come here and shout, you're going to be all right. Y'all not going to like it, but I got to do my job. Huh? We say, as long as you pay your tithes, you're going to be all right. As long as you've been baptized, you're going to be all right. And we baptize in Jesus' name. Y'all know that's the way we do it. All the other people are like, mm, I don't know. I knew something was wrong with this church. No, we baptize in Jesus' name. That's what the Bible said. We're going to do that the way the Bible said to do it too. I went and got baptized again in Jesus' name to make sure it was all right. But that can't be the only reference point. You can't be baptized in Jesus' name and still a murderer and think you're going to make it in. You have to be saved. Let me get, Lord Jesus, help me get to, oh, Deuteronomy 18. Let me just, Autumn, you're supposed to remember I said I have to go straight through the notes. You have to, straight through. Deuteronomy 18.10. She's supposed to, that's my help me. Help me meet this time budget and get out of here. What did, what did I say? Deuteronomy 18.10. I'm getting older now, Prophet T. I, I, I sense when you prophesied about the upgrade, 
I felt it. I looked at you ministering today. I came over there, stood by the organ, and I watched you, and I said, you know what? The prophetic in our house is mature enough for me to fully embrace the apostolic calling that I have. Can y'all, wait a minute, and I'm not trying to, y'all know I'm not trying to pump her up, but can you see the prophetic maturity in Prophet T? I said, we finally got, look, he looking like mature. Y'all question the maturity? That's what his face said. Can y'all see? It was about, what was it, maybe three or two years before we went into the pandemic. I started imparting into you. You remember that? And it became the focal point. God said, release this, release this, lay hands on it, release this. Release. And I didn't know what he was building. Deuteronomy 18. I can shift now. I can, I can go into my upgrade. That's what we feel today. We feel that shifting. Prophet well, prophet. That's what you need to do. Prophet well. Come on, clap your hands for our prophet. Our chief prophet. All right. Yeah, I got to get to this. Deuteronomy 18.10 says, there shall not be found among you. Now, I'm in the Bible. Somebody say the Bible. This is absolute truth for the believer. I heard one yes. I heard an amen in the back. I'll say it one more time. The word of God is absolute truth for the believer. We're not looking for another gospel. And if you have a revelation, it has to be founded in this scripture. Or it's no revelation for us. Okay, now make sure we're on the same page. Scripture says, There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. Okay? Now, if you study that out, I said I'm teaching today, right? If you study that out, they're talking about the worship of the god Molech. M-O-L-E-C-H. You want to know what that is in modern contemporary times? Abortion. Y'all study it yourselves. There shall not be one, and if you've experienced that, you can be free. It's not the unpardonable sin. Somebody say amen. No condemnation. I just felt that coming in there. There's no condemnation. You'll be free. Right? Or one who practices witchcraft. Or a soothsayer. Or one who interprets omens. Or a sorcerer. Or one who conjures spells. Or a medium. Or a spiritist. Or one who calls up the dead. For all, does the Bible say all? All who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, listen to the, the, the situation that many of our nations are in today. It says because of these abominations, the Lord, your God, drives them out before you. And you shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. The nations that we will what? Dispossess. That means that when he displaces a nation, that nation has a covenant with another deity. Yet, so we might turn on the news and we might weep over what we see when we see disaster and destruction and devastation plaguing the land, but do, do the, the, the leaders of that nation have covenants with Satan? 
I love Haiti, and Haiti is about to see an uprising and a revival. But do you know the backdrop of the story of Haiti? They brought the African slaves there, and the slaves decided to revolt. But they knew that they could not overpower the slave masters and the catchers on their own, so they entered into a contract with Satan. And they said, if you give us power to overthrow <laughs> these slave owners, we will serve you. Satan gave them power that night. Can, this is, you can Google this. They overpowered them and slaughtered them, and those African slaves created their own community and nation on that island. So they're powerful, but when you go there and you're confronted with witchcraft and voodoo, and I got Haitians in our church, you wonder why, oh, the devil here? Yeah, because that's his land. He said, I'll give you power to break free from them, but you have to serve me here. And they did. And they do. He said, these nations that you're going to dispossess, they listened to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. If the scripture is addressing this, that means it's real in God's world. All right? So witchcraft is real. Somebody say it's real. It's real. Oh, well, I don't believe in that. Well, then you don't believe in the Bible. All right? Let's go to another scripture. Isaiah 8. I'm going to show you what witchcraft is. So that you don't be ignorant and uninformed because I can't have people that bear the insignia of this house being ignorant in the kingdom. You're educated, intelligent people and astute in the knowledge of the word of God. Isaiah 8 and 19 says, and when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards. Am I in the Bible? So this means mediums exist. It means wizards exist. I'm reading the truth book. Somebody say the truth book. Okay. It says, when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? So number one, this is establishing that the people that follow occultism are not interested in seeking God. They don't want his opinion. They don't want his truth. They don't want his interference. Right? It says, should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? If the people who died know how to live that well, most of them wouldn't be dead. So why are you trying to commune with the dead to figure out how to live? It says, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, what does the Bible say? This word. If they don't speak according to this word, is that what it says? It is because there is no light in them. It don't matter how bright they look because Satan appears as an Y'all talk the Bible to me, an angel of light. But if they, don't, if they don't believe and agree with this word, there's no light. Is that what it says? It says they will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry. This is the judgment. And it shall happen when they are hungry that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom and anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. Spirituality is now firmly placed in mainstream culture. So do you all realize that we cannot watch TV without some element of witchcraft being presented? 
okay? And do you realize that most of us have been anesthetized to the reality of what the witchcraft powers and the witchcraft agenda is that we see? They're talking about magic. They're talking about, what was that, That's So Raven. I think that was the show that came out when we were kids, and she was a psychic. She would have visions and she would predict things and see things that nobody else could see, not realizing that they were inducting an entire generation into the realm of witchcraft. Harry Potter. Some of the best TV that you could ever see. That woman was poor and homeless and on a train in the UK and heard a voice speak to her on the train and said, I will make you the richest woman in the world if you follow what I say. Sitting on the train, broke, poor, and disgusted, she hears a voice give her the vision for Harry Potter in the series. Said, write these books. They will become movies, and they will reach the youth, or whatever. It was a whole thing that I watched, a documentary. Witchcraft Forces says, I want a generation, and I need a conduit to help me get them. She wrote the books. They created the movies, and the rest is history. Spirituality has a growing interest in astrology, watch this, that is driven by millennials as well as the popularity of crystals, tarot cards, uh, and they are causing this industry to balloon as well as, watch this, and in conjunction with the wellness industry. I don't know if y'all know too much about this, but most witches are vegan. Y'all not going to like me today. Y'all going to have to pray. I told the intercessors to pray. Most intercessors don't eat meat. And they are overly preoccupied with health because in order to, ke to keep the, uh, uh, the, the energy channels in the body, whatever they call it, free from contamination, they can't be bogged down with excessive food. The witches will tell you we have to keep the third eye clear. And they know that meat clogs up your system. I read that they said meat, because it takes so long to digest, most of your intuitive faculties are in your stomach. So if it's laden with meat, you lose your ability to spiritually see. So they eat fruit and vegetables. No, 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 no. Be healthy. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not telling you not to be healthy. But I'm telling you, watch this. Watch this. I saw this article where they called the Whole Foods store the witch's marketplace. It says, watch this. So crystals, tarot cards, and the wellness industry has brought mysticism from the fringes and right into your Instagram feed. Watch this. It says, as the cosmetics giant Sephora recently found out, mysticism and its more formal manifestation, witch culture, are not topics to be taken lightly. When the company tried to commodify and condense witch-related practices into a starter witch kit. This is Sephora, the makeup store, the cologne and perfume store that I bought a lot of cologne from. 
decided that they wanted to capitalize. Now, this is showing you the power of witch culture because now you have a cosmetics giant saying we need to get stuck in this booming industry. So they created a witch starter kit and began to sell it at Sephora. Watch this. It says, I'm not going to read the vernacular of what this article said, but they upset a whole bunch of actual witches who forced the manufacturer of the kit to apologize and pull the product. Witches! Y'all, are y'all here? Are y'all here? Are y'all still just dancing trying to go to the next gospel concert? Sephora said, let's create a starter witch kit. And real organized witches came and presented themselves to Sephora and said, take this off of the market. And they obeyed. Witchcraft ain't real. This company just lost out on potential millions of dollars because the witches told them to pull it and you think it's not real? Watch this. The kit was clearly aimed at dabblers in witchcraft rather than those who actually practice it, which was perhaps a part of their miscalculation. Data on the existing population of self-identified practicing witches suggests that a robust and growing witch community actually exists. Watch this. The U.S. government does not regularly collect detailed religious data because of the separation of church and state. So we don't have very good statistical data about religion and spirituality in our nation for that reason. But there were several organizations that tried to fill in that gap. From 1990 to 2008, Trinity College in Connecticut ran three large detailed religion surveys. They have shown that Wicca grew tremendously over that time span. From an estimated 8,000 Wiccans in 1990, they found that there are 340,000 practicing Wiccans in 2008. From 8,000 to 340,000 self-proclaimed practicing Wiccans? They haven't run the survey since 2008, but the Pew Research Center picked up the baton in 2014, and they found out that 0.4% of Americans, or 1.5 million Americans, 1.5 million Americans identify as Wiccan or pagan. 1.5 million identify as practicing witch culture adherents. Now y'all know them Negroes done snuck up in our churches. Y'all know they done joined the praise team. Y'all know they're trying to infiltrate intercessory prayer because they know that's where the power is. No, 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 no. I want y'all to get it. There are people that have entered into covenants with witchcraft deities. They've done blood sacrifices. They have taken oaths and vows. 
to serve whatever that spiritual force tells them to do. Then they dress up like a saint. They come into our church and they're serving another God and they're there to do the bidding of that God. I know someone who said that their parent had that assignment. I grew up in a house where my parent had the assignment as a witch to infiltrate churches. Some of most of y'all know. I just matured. Y'all saw, did y'all see maturity walk up on the stage? Because I'm going to keep going. Baby. <laughs> Confirmation in the Christ likeness. Wicca is largely a Western religious movement that dates back to the mid-20th century in U.S. and the U.K. according to site.wicca.com. It's a belief system, watch this, informed by pre-Christian traditions that originated in Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. It promotes, watch this, free thought. It's not the worship of Satan. Free thought and the will of the individual. You ever meet somebody that just a free thinker no matter what you say? They got to resist what you, what you said? Huh? They always have another will that's contrary to the corporate will? Yeah, so, so at the base of witchcraft is not the worship of Satan, it's the worship of you. This is how you know when witchcraft has crept in. Everything is about them. My will, my uniqueness, myself, I found me. You mean the me that's supposed to be dead and crucified with Christ as a believer? Is this real? Uh, let me, okay. Let's look at this. I, I'm going to go through this real quick. I'll give you the references and we won't turn to it. Here's the backdrop. In heaven before the garden, in the garden, everything in creation was operating according to the exquisite design of the Almighty. Point one here. Satan found iniquity in himself. Ezekiel 28 and 15. It says that you were the seal of perfection until iniquity was found in you. All right. So imagine in the in the overall panoramic vision and landscape of what God created in heaven, it was sheer perfection. How did sin get in that perfected environment? Did anybody ever ask that question? How did sin get into heaven? Did y'all y'all do know that Lucifer was in heaven before he got kicked out, right? And that he was employed by God and he was on his staff, okay? And that he was a merchandiser and a trafficker so that he carried the accounts and dealt with the business and the financing of the things in heaven. <laughs> Judas also was the one that dealt with the finances. So Satan's after the people that deal with the money because it's most connected to the position he had before he got kicked out. 
the lady, watch this. Ooh, Tara, help me. You praying? I know you're praying. The lady took the bottle of spikenard and broke it open and poured it on Jesus' feet to worship him, to prepare him prophetically for burial. Judas, the money man, had issues with how Jesus allowed the economy to be dispensed. Should not we have used this money for the poor, he questioned, as if he knew better than Jesus what to do with heaven's economy. All I'm doing is preaching the Bible. If you find yourself in that, just repent and get free. I'm not talking about nobody but these people in this word. How did sin get into heaven? You never asked that question? I'm going to show you. A thought in God's presence that is antithetical to what he said constitutes sin. You want to know how rebellion was born? An alternate opinion. God said this. I got it. God said it should be this way. And you come with the question, but why does it have to always be that way? I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I got to get all of the notes. Remind me. Just, yeah. Okay. She told me to move on. <laughs> Isaiah 14, 12 through 15 says this. He starts to talk about, I want y'all to study these scriptures. He starts to talk about his agenda that is contrary to God. So imagine the mindset of Satan. Just, uh, uh, just God is high and lifted up. His train fills the temple. The four living creatures are there. The 24 elders are there in the throne of God. Satan has observed this scene. And instead, watch this, y'all, of falling into alignment with the pattern and the order, he creates in himself an alternative strategy. He said, instead of me coming into alignment because, you know, I got to do me. I can't follow the crowd. I'm an individual. The four living creatures are worshiping him, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my throne and I'm going to exalt it higher than the stars of God. He said, I'm going to take you. Y'all better hear this so that you can understand Lucifer's strategy and you can discern it when it shows up in your church. I call it the Luciferian complex. He said, look at your church, most high God. I can do this. I can do this. Why I got to be a member of your church and worship you like everybody else? No, no, no. I can be worshipped. Let me hide behind the scenes long enough to make people think that that's really where I want to be. But no, I really want to be center stage. I'm going to take my seat and exalt it above your seat. So that the people that are accustomed to focusing on you will now have to focus on me. I'm in Isaiah 14. So when he began to believe his own concept, he incubated it enough to bring it into being. It constituted sin. And you know the story. Eventually he got kicked out of heaven and he was sent to the earth. So he begins to launch this plan. Now he already did it in heaven. 
And in his mind, he had success because a third of the hosts of heaven, which is really an innumerable number. We, we have no idea how many angels or spiritual beings were connected in that third of, of the hosts of heaven. He took one third of God's celestial population. That's probably billions upon billions upon billions of angelic beings that followed him and his idea. My question is, why weren't they convinced like the two-thirds? What in them was conducive to Satan's agenda? I told you. I said, you got you to check your heart and figure out what in me is conducive to his agenda. These are probably people, watch this, and I'm, I'm going quick. These are probably beings that Satan had jurisdiction over. And he had influence over them. That's why senior leaders, and some of y'all will be senior pastors. This, this is why you got you to gotta pay attention to where you position people. No, listen, y'all, listen, 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 listen. As a senior leader, you don't ever want to be idolized because God will knock you down. Okay? So you never allow your people to idolize you. And that's why you got to be real careful. Sometimes when they get up there and start talking about how great we are, I move on. I don't want to hear that. You can give honor, but don't overdo it because God's not coming to kill me just to prove a point to you. I know he's God. If you don't know, you need to get that revelation because I'm good. Move on from that. I don't need to hear all that. Somebody, you don't let the people idolize you, but you also don't let them usurp your authority. Nobody wants a weak leader unless they're coming to destabilize the system. Those are the only people that want to follow somebody weak. But you got to watch where you put people. Now watch, listen to what I'm saying. I'm talking to people who are going to be senior pastors and the senior pastor that's here. The moment people on your team change their heart regarding you, they no longer should have influence over your people. The moment, watch it. Now listen, listen, you got to be discerning. Because it doesn't mean that we're not going to have experiences. It doesn't mean we're not going to have human moments and go through stuff and, and need to be reaffirmed and re-encouraged, blah, blah, blah. That's human. We get that. We all go through that. There's days I'm not coming to church. So I get it. I'm not talking about those temporary moments. I'm talking about the shifting of the heart's posture. The people on your team have to be ride or die you or they don't get to be influential in the agency. The Bible says you have to guard the flock of God over which the Holy Spirit has made you. Why did he use the term guard? The apostle was predicting that the day was come, would come that savage wolves would infiltrate the flock and not spare the sheep. So the end time is not going to be marked by the increase of sheep. It's going to be marked by the increase of wolves. Y'all better hear. I don't care. Y'all better hear it. Anybody that would connect with people in this flock to say something disparaging against me, my wife, or this ministry is a wolf, not even in sheep's clothing. That's a wolf. Listen, that is the nature of a wolf. Because if we did you wrong on purpose, you still have an obligation to keep your mouth shut. 
and let's work it out. And let's talk it out. And let's mediate it. You don't get to attack the sheep in this house. It's the nature of a wolf. Now, see, a pastor wouldn't preach this like that. But an apostle would. Because I want to see the other wolves that are still in the fold. See, all that does is expose. It creates a dividing line. It creates a line of demarcation. It puts a line in the sand. I need to know. And y'all can't say God's not like that because the prophet Elijah said, why do you falter between two opinions? If Baal is God, if drunkenness and revelry and fornication and uncleanness is God, then serve it. But if it's the most high God, then you better get on this side and you better choose this day who you're going to serve. You cannot falter between two opinions. You either hate one and love the other. So the apostle in me has a responsibility to tell the saints, you better make your mind up. I'm not telling you who to be friends with, but I'm telling you which God you're supposed to serve. Take your seats. A thought that is antithetical, which means opposing to God's will, constitutes rebellion. What did God say? Huh? See, that's simple when you walk with him. Because you hear what he said. Oh, yeah. And you have scripture to substantiate what he said. But when you slip, see, see, y'all listen to me. When I backslid, I backslid. I didn't change my theology. Because when you change your theology when you backslide, you have nothing to come back to. No, 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 no. I left my idea of God intact. Huh? huh? So I said, because eventually I'm coming out of this. You ain't backslide for real. See, when you walk with him and you do a little bit more than slipping, a little bit more, you, you willfully go out. You say, God, I know I'm taking a hiatus, but I'm coming back because my heart, y'all not going to like this truth. My heart is with you. And so give me mercy while I'm over here because I know this is not where I'm going to remain. And so through my backsliding, I prayed every day, God, don't kill me. See, that's when you really know him. Come on, I need real people. I need some real people to open your mouth and testify. I said, God, just don't kill me. I know I'm in sin. I'm in a bed of iniquity. Just don't take the breath out of my body. If you be merciful to me, I promise, God, I will serve you. Just keep me in the midst of my mess. And he did. Huh? Now watch it. When you buy, take your seats, I gotta. When you buy into the enemy's deception and you change your theology and you change your ideology about God, you create a version of a God that now accepts all of your stuff. You drunk every day and he don't convict you. He showed you the scripture where the Bible said Jesus drank. That's what, oh, the Lord showed you that scripture. I thought you would have told me to be quiet right there. You didn't. Good job. 
Okay, so that's your license for drunkenness? No conviction. No wooing of the Holy Spirit. He says, I miss that depth of intimacy with you. Y'all don't, you don't feel that now? That heart that says you're off. You got more than five people blocked, baby, it's you. It's not everybody you blocking. It's you. And there's no voice of God that puts a mirror up in front of you. Baby, we are in trouble. Listen to me. The Bible says, I don't know how long I've been. The Bible says rebellion is as the sin of. It is impossible to be rebellious and not open up the door to witchcraft forces. Impossible. The Bible says that it is equivalent and like as the sin of which you might as well go get you some oil and altar and some tarot cards if you're going to sit in God's house and be a rebel. Because it's the same sin. People who are rebellious, watch this, let me go back to this real quick, sit down. Satan whispers to them. There's a pattern established. Somebody say pattern. I'm, I'm coming down the street. I got a, there's a pattern established. There's a blueprint. Somebody say pattern. Somebody say blueprint. That's why you can't come into somebody else's house and try to interject your strategy. Oh, got to come down. I, can't, I got my war clothes on in the army of the Lord. This is, not, this is not sacrilege. I came to fight. I came to war. I said, let me put my ones on. Just in case it jumps off. Let me get this fatigue on. Just in case I got to lay hands in another dimension. Because I came to fight. You're going to back up off of the house of God. You're going to back up off of the saints of God. The devil is a liar. We execute divine judgment. The sword of the Lord goes before us. You don't get to sit, take your seats in the house of God with your agenda. Sit down. Real quick, not, I'm not going too far. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. It says, and he, the he is who? God, the sovereign Lord, has set. Look at the word set. He positioned, installed, postured. In the Ecclesia, I'm in the Bible. It says first. Can y'all put the scripture up here? Y'all have the ability to do that. First Corinthians 12, 28 says, and he, God, has set, fixed, established, positioned, postured in the Ecclesia. First. Am I in the Bible? What is the Greek word for first? Proton. Proton. Somebody say proton. Proton means, yeah, y'all gotta, y'all gotta be Bible people. Listen to me. I opened this up. The onset was true. The Bible is truth for the believer. It's absolute truth. There's nothing outside of God's word for I don't care. I'm going to heaven believing this truth. This is my only truth. There's nothing else. You can't tell me nothing else. You can't show me nothing else. I'm going to die believing in this truth. 
the word proton means first, it means chief, it means most important, it means highest rank, it means first in a series of firsts, it means first in order of importance, proton, first, what did he put in the Ecclesia first? Are we in the Bible? Secondarily, who? Come stand here. Wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. We got to We got to Where's the other? Give me some prophets. Well, no, you know what? Give me prophet Donna cuz she's I'm a I'm going to do these these ordained prophets. If you want to know what God's government in the ecclesia looks like, I'm a presiding bishop and I got my robes, but that's not what the government looks like. I'm in this Bible. It's not a whole bunch of people with scarlet and fuchsia. He said, first, apostles. Secondarily, prophets. And then thirdly, that's the governing order of the ecclesia. Now, if it's first, proton, in order of importance, what makes the apostleship so important? I'm glad you asked that. I talked to my spiritual mom this week, and she said, this is the difference between apostles and prophets. She said, we don't give a hill of beans what the people think about God. We only care about what God thinks about the people. So it's a different direction. See, the pastor, the evangelist, and the Ephesians 4 teacher are concerned about the believer's experience from the earth up towards heaven. Apostles and prophets are concerned about your experience from heaven down. We're concerned with what he says, his disposition, his attitude, his thoughts, his sentiments, where his heart is, where his spirit is, what he wants to do, what his move is, what miracles he's performing, what chains he's breaking. We don't entreat the ecclesia by your experience. The apostle has the obligation, watch this, to bring the government of God's kingdom into the earth realm. He said to Moses, who was a part of the Shaliak, a pre-New Testament order of apostles, he said to him, Moses, be careful that you build it according to the pattern that I showed you on top of the mountain. So that means apostles have to have mountaintop experiences with God. Watch this. Moses stank as a pastor. Because he left the people in the visitation long enough for them to create another God and another system. Moses' place was not amongst the people. Am I in the Bible? You cannot reduce your apostle who pastors to the role of the five-fold ministry gift office of a pastor. Yes, because your apostle who pastors is not a pastor. He's an apostle who pastors. The role of the apostle is to be on the mountaintop in the face-to-face -face encounter. Listen, I got to teach it. 
It's not to deal with the mundane dealings of the people. Well, how do we know that scripturally? Well, in the book of Acts, they were concerned about the daily distribution of food. The widows were being overlooked. The apostle Peter said, he said, no, 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 no. He said, we're not going to leave the weightier matters of prayer in the ministry of the word to wait tables. Am I in this? He said, my apostleship responsibility is not domesticated care of the saints. I got to teach it. I got to teach it. I got to teach it. Oh, you think it's all about you? No, I'm explaining to our church our mandate. So y'all don't confuse it with the mandate where y'all just came from. Because people keep trying to make me their old pastor. So-and-so is sick. Oh, well, they're waiting for you to call. Well, what are they waiting for? I may or may not call. But if I'm on my face, they're going to live and not die. Do you want a phone call or do you want to live? Don't take me from my seat to take care of your domestic, domesticated need. Y'all, I know it's, it's uncomfortable. Everybody, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable because some of y'all come from churches that when you miss a service, the pastor's at your house waiting for you when you get home. That will never be me. They said Moses was sitting on top of the mountain. And as long as his hands were lifted, the people in the valley of the battle prevailed. He wasn't in the battle. He wasn't down there during the battle. He wasn't passing out juice for the people in the battle. But he was sitting on top of the mountain with his hands lifted up because it represented breakthrough. It represented victory. As long as the apostle is seated in his seat on top of the mountain in the face of God with his hands lifted towards heaven, there are hosts that are assigned to that mission and they're going to whip the devils behind. But as long as you desire to pull the apostle from their seat of authority down to your level, they lose all of their accoutrements. They lose all of their mantleship. They lose all of their anointing. Who am I preaching to? It's time for the church to grow up, come up a little bit higher, stop pulling us down. And so as long as his hands were lifted, let me get, sit down. They prevailed. But his hands began to get a little tired and it got a little weary wait because all you see is the battle that you're fighting but you don't feel the weight of all those people on your shoulder it's easy for you to judge while you're dodging bullets but excuse me while you're dodging the weight of nations is on the shoulders of your Moses he needs Aaron he needs her to hold up his arms, not just to hold them, but to bear the weight of the responsibility of the people of God, to bear the weight of the ministry, to bear the weight of the commission. God not helping me. Open your mouth. So the moment, sit down, because y'all gotta, I'm done. The moment the people on your team change their heart posture, 
they stop holding up the arms of the leader. Their offense will make them drop their weight. I'm looking at your face to see how far I could go. Their offense will make them look in the other direction. Their offense doesn't mind who's getting slaughtered in the battle because they dropped their weight. See, do they? Yeah, listen, listen, listen. Help me. Ramona, y'all got to pray because I don't know how to preach without telling the truth. And they say to me that there's things you don't preach from the pulpit. So I don't, I don't, know, how to, I don't know how to create an entertainment presentation and rob the people of truth. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. How do you all of a sudden care about everybody now? You was the first one leaving the church for years. The first one. Wanted nothing to do with the people of God. I said... Let me create a position for you to serve because you're too detached from the ministry. You remember the meeting? I said, there's nothing that attaches you to, the, to our community. You got to stop leaving first. Didn't I say it? In English. I wasn't even speaking in tongue. I said, let me find a place. The usher ministry needs. We're going to put you. Just to give you something to tie you to the people. Because you cannot be a prophet for people that you're not attached to and have no concern for. You, You can't serve me prophetically and you don't have a vested interest in my purpose. You gotta get close enough to me to understand what God is saying about me. You have to be close enough to me as a priest to be touched with the feeling of my infirmity or you don't qualify as my priest. Am I in Hebrews? How now, all of a sudden, when you've created a golden calf and named another God, because you dropped your weight holding up the arms of Moses, I'm just gonna, I gotta tell y'all the truth. And, and I, I still, I still, we are almost a year later from this transition. Almost a year. And I still am racking myself trying to make sure I didn't do anything wrong. I'm still, I'm still in that posture. I had to let it go. I got my upgrade. But I'm saying, no, no, no. But I'm still going through my mind. What should I do? Could I, I shouldn't have did that. No, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe no. Maybe I should have did this different. I'm going to tell you, bad leadership don't think like that. They they will roll over you with an 18-wheeler and back up and roll over you again and not look back. They don't think, is my heart right? Did I do that right? But this is, I made a hard decision. And I said to leaders that served here, I said, you are no longer welcome as members of this ministry. You, you cannot be here. You only wanted to resign from leadership 
but you cannot be here. Because if what happened in your heart changed you enough to drop my arms in the middle of a global pandemic, as a leader, I've never had to lead people through burying their mothers from a COVID. I got members whose mothers I had to bury in the middle of a global pandemic that we just happened to expand into a second location. We took on a whole nother lease and bills and responsibility. We're leading a nation of believers through a pandemic. I'm burying my elder's mother and my member's mother and cousins. If you could drop my arms in the middle of all of that, you don't get to worship here. I can't tell you that God hasn't saved you and isn't going to use you, but I can tell you he's not going to use you in this house. Because you have proven to this nation of believers what manner of man or woman you actually are. You don't care about the nature and the sheep of these, this flock if you could leave in the middle of what we were transitioning out of. You, you didn't just leave. You dropped the arms of your Moses. Just play something. I'm stopping. So you may not understand all of my decisions. You may not agree with all of my directives. But I can assure you, Ecclesia Global Worship Assembly and Ecclesia Global Fellowship, that you are my priority. No, 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 don't clap. Don't clap. You are my focus. My life and her life and the lives of my children, listen to me, y'all, listen, sit down for a second, are on the line. Are on the line, Elder Aaron. On the line for people who will drop us and give us no notice that they're going to drop us. Our lives are on the line Elder Isaiah, for people who will say for 10 years, I'm ride or die. They'll say it for 10 years. They will, tell, they will say it in your face. They will preach it. They will prophesy it. They will pray it. They will say it in every meeting. For 10 years, Mother Tuck said, 10 years. That's a decade. There's people in here that are not even 10 years old. I'm ride or die. I'm ride or die. I'm ride or die. Then they stop riding and start dying, and you try to figure out what happened. They say, I changed my heart. So you would never ride or die. See, I get up and say it all the time. I said, the people who ride or die never say that they're ride or die. I said, the people who say that they're ride or die are trying to convince themselves that they're ride or die. They're not trying to show that to you. They're trying to show themselves. Am I being really direct in this? Yeah, but I'm being direct in an indirect way because I'm not trying to offend people. But I owe y'all the truth. I owe y'all the truth. And truth is not subjective. Truth is based on this scripture. If you have an alt with somebody, the Bible says, leave your gift at the altar. God doesn't even want your worship. He wants your heart fixed. He wants your reconciliation more than he wants your worship. He said, leave your gift at the altar and be reconciled to your brother. He didn't say just ask for forgiveness. He didn't even say a pseudo forgiveness. He said, be reconciled and then come and present your gift that's at the altar. So what that says to me is that when you have an alt that you're not willing to get over, it means you close your egress into heaven. You no longer have access. That's why another deity is talking to you now because the most high stopped. You don't have access to him.
I'm going to show you Wednesday. I'm going to finish this on Wednesday. Am I here Wednesday? I'm here. I'm going to finish this on Wednesday. I'm getting invitations from everywhere now. I don't know if I'm coming or going. I don't know what's happening. And I'm going to go because of the upgrade. I have to, I have to do the assignment. I'm finished. We establish that rebellion begins when you have a thought that is antithetical to the pattern and the blueprint of God. There are people in here, and I'm going to say this, under the sound of my voice, that are under the throes of a battle with witchcraft and rebellious forces. You are. You are. And if I allow you to run rampant and do what it is that it is in your heart to do, you're going to destabilize this ministry. There are people here that you think your version of spirituality is higher than what God is dispensing here. So you filter everything that is preached and presented here with what you feel God's saying. Well, you need to open a church. And you need to find people to pastor. Because if you start moving antithetically to the pattern here, then you become a rebel and a witch, even if you don't intend to. God never disrupts his order. And we have to understand, because we're in a post-pandemic era now. This is a post-pandemic church. God wiped away a lot of what we called the church. He did. We said goodbye to a whole bunch of presiders and bishops and prelates. We did. If y'all did, we did. That's not, that, y'all know, a, a virus can't do that. You think a virus has the power to come into God's institution called the Ecclesia and wipe out its headship? No, the sovereign permitted that. I dare say he called for it because we've been talking about this shift for years that was coming into the church, the changing of the guard, the shifting of the generation. I prophesied it clearly December of 2019. I said 2020 is going to be marked by us saying goodbye to an entire guard of leaders. I had no idea COVID was coming. It's documented. It's all over my social media. You can go back to December 2019, 2019, before the pandemic. I said the Lord gave me a vision and I saw an entire guard of leaders being promoted into heaven, into glory. God reset his church. And I'm telling you, he does not have the grace for the things that we allowed before this pandemic. It's not here. I'm telling y'all, I'm telling you as a prophet of God, I'm not giving you a car or a house, but I'm giving you the word of the Lord. He doesn't have the same measure of grace and mercy for it. Because we're supposed to look at what was just wiped away as our lesson. That's the example. That's it. God is in this house. No mistake about it. That's why he manifested himself like this today, so you would know. He's here, and he's with us. So if you fight us, you're not fighting me. You're fighting God. I'm telling you right now, call it whatever you want. You are, you are rolling up on the most high God. And I don't know if you could feel it today, but he came to war. Did y'all hear it all in the sound? Now, y'all didn't know that, but I knew it. That's why I put on the army fatigue. I said, oh, you're the God of war this morning. I had a nice suit. It's going to match my wife. It's going to sparkle and look cute like her. I went in that drawer. I said, let me get this fatigue on. Let me put these ones on. I said, he came to war today. And then the spirit of that warfare gripped the praise team. 
gripped, they were torn down. I, I was praying for y'all. That's how I feel most of the time. That anointing that gripped y'all, you couldn't breathe, that's me. Because when the anointing comes upon you, he does through you as if he were physically there with you. That's, that's what the anointing is. It's his enablement. And the anointing is unreasonable. It don't care that you're tired. It doesn't care that you're fatigued. That anointing will come on you. You're like, God, I can't breathe. I can't get another word out. And then you feel another weight come on you. And you're trying to manage your physiological self. And then he'll give you a breather. And you'll breathe a little bit, and then bam, it comes down again. The anointing is unreasonable because the Father is in a disposition. I told you, when we left 2019, I said we are going to enter into the era of his sovereignty. I said we don't know God as a sovereign, but we're about to meet him as the God who is sovereignly in control. Didn't I tell y'all? I'm done. Listen. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. This is not a house of control. There's a difference between control and order. Okay? Control is me on the phone with you or on your social media telling you your skirt is too short today, take it off. That's control. Telling you what is not going to happen in this house is order. Nope. Let that marinate because some of y'all don't get it. You confuse anything authoritative with control. It's only because you're a rev you're, you're a rebel. You're rebellious, so any presence of authority seems like control. This house is a house of order. The queen of Sheba saw the order of Solomon's temple. God's glory came not because of the sacrifice, but because of the order of Solomon's temple. So the deeper you go into glory, Minister Roxanne, the more order is required. Outer court, inner court, holies of holies. There's a pattern, there's a blueprint to progressively entering into deeper dimensions of glory. And when you are not governed by the principles of those dimensions that you're pushing into, then you reap the ramifications of not being governed by that place. It consumes you. Ask Uzzah. Ask the high priests who went in there and did not atone appropriately. Ask those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit. There's no forgiveness in this age or the age to come. You cannot attribute the works of God to the power of Satan. There's no forgiveness for that. That's not a light claim. That's a huge claim. And it can cost you your eternal salvation. And the sad thing is we won't know that until you get there. You can't call a house with God's power witchcraft. You cannot do that. You may, you may have lost your salvation. Period. That's what the scripture says. Jesus said, any word spoken against the Father will be forgiven. Any word spoken against the Son will be forgiven. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not find forgiveness in this age or in the age to come. Why did he say that? Because they said he was casting out demons by the prince of demons. They said he's only casting out demons by demonic power. They attributed the works and the power of God to the power of Satan. No forgiveness. Eternally. It is the unpardonable sin. That's not a light claim. I'm done. I just want, I need to hit that a little bit. So y'all need to get into the order of our house. To my saying amen. I'm going to finish this Wednesday in our Hamden location. Jezebel is looking for rebellious intercessors and prophets. 
Jezebelic assignments are only gravitating, they only gravitate towards the spiritual power centers of a ministry. You don't find Jezebel at the door unless she's trying to block the gate. You find Jezebelic agendas only in the posture of spiritual engagement because Jezebel needs a legitimate seat for her agenda. Ain't no way in the world you so caught up in God that he gonna take you out of church. You so caught up in the anointing that you can't come to church? You gotta watch that. That's not the spirit of God. That's masked rebellion. Get in order. Get in order. Y'all hear me? Get in order. We don't do flaky prophetics in this house. I will protect the integrity of God's prophetic anointing. I will guard the spheres of the prophetic in this house. God spoke to me coming into 2020. What was the word? He was purifying the streams of the prophetic from witchcraft. I didn't know they was witches. God did. Well, you know in part, you prophesy in part. I didn't know they were full of rebellion. I didn't know they hated me. I did not know those people hated me. Because sometimes you can get blinded by your narrative instead of accepting the truth. You get blinded by what you want to see about people. No, people will show you exactly where they are. They'll show, they'll show, they'll tell you everything. They will show you what they believe. They will show you their loyalty or dis they will show you. You're the one that walk away saying, no, they didn't mean that. Yes, they did. They meant it. Yep, they showed you. You can't be a leader here and you miss my meetings. I'm calling the meeting not just as your pastor, but as the CEO of the, of the corporation. You have an obligation to be in the meeting. You start missing the meetings and that's, there's something going on. You can't be an elder here and miss church. Part of your eldership obligation is that we are a church. We're not a hub. I don't know what that language is that these millennial people are, yo, what's a hub? It's the ecclesia. No, no, what's a hub? A hub is you come and you go. You go through it and come back through it. That's not a church. The church is the agency of God in the earth. It is the legislative arm of his kingdom. A hub. Sound like a place where you go eat and have coffee. This is the church that he purchased. Watch this. I'm done. I got to go. That he purchased with his blood. He didn't just purchase your salvation with his blood. He purchased the church. I will defend this faith. I will defend the faith that was entrusted to the saints. Call me old school, whatever. I'm going to defend this faith. 